Welcome to Building Insight, brought to you by the lawyers at Glayholt LLP. Building Insight is Canada's first podcast dedicated to construction law and dispute resolution. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Glayholt LLP's podcast, Building Insight. I'm Andrea Lee, a partner at Glayholt LLP. I'm Kaylee Duvernay, an articling student at Glayholt LLP. The subject of our discussion today is diversity in the construction industry. This podcast is accredited for 30 minutes of equality, diversity, and inclusion professionalism hours with the Law Society of Ontario. If you are logging these hours, please email us at info at According to the National Research Council of Canada, construction in Canada is a $171 billion industry that employs 1.4 million people and consumes 40% of the country's energy and 50% of its primary resources. There has been more recent focus on the issue of diversity in construction, given the importance of the industry to Canada's economy, increased globalization of businesses, demands for corporate social responsibility, and forecasted shortages of labor and talent. With that in mind, we have three very different individuals with different stories and different perspectives to share with us today. Fessel Gaia is a project director at Multiplex in Toronto with 30 years of project management and director experience with major firms in the industry. Magda Warshawski is an architect with over 10 years experience, originally from Ontario and is now practicing with dialogue in Edmonton. Carrie Smeaton is a lawyer from England who moved to Toronto and has practiced in the construction industry for 10 years with a major contracting company and is now with Infrastructure Ontario. Fessel, Magda, and Carrie have kindly agreed to talk about their own personal experiences in the construction industry today. We just want to note for our listeners that they are sharing their own views today and not those of their employers. Fessel, let's start our questions with you. We note that you graduated from Imperial College in London, England, with a Bachelor of Civil Engineering, and then you attended Stanford University, where you obtained your Master's in Construction Management. Could you tell us a bit about what led you to transition from design to construction and to move from England to North America? I studied engineering design for my undergraduate and uh, construction management for my Master's, so for my undergraduate, it was more design, and my master's was more construction. And at the time, construction seemed more glamorous and exciting. If you think about, um, for example, building a bridge across the Pacific Ocean, just studying in San Francisco, or Lake Ontario, or putting up a 50-story tower in downtown Toronto, and you compare that to calculating millimeters of deflection or how many kilonewtons per meter square you have, you know, it's really no comparison, especially as a 20-something-year-old, you choose the former. And, uh, you know, it just seemed exciting at the time. Now that I look back, it's, you know, our businesses or or our services are no longer bricks and mortar and it's about people and how you get teams to act to disagree, then agree to go away and work in groups. So now I see that, and you know, construction, uh, if you go to a construction site, you'll see a lot of diversity, a lot of people from very varying groups. And to bring all of them together is, you know, really what gives me a kick and is very rewarding. So that's why construction over design. England versus America. So I'm from Pakistan. And I, even England was a foreign country for me. And uh, England is, 
as far as your undergraduate goes, is a very solid, hardcore, you know, if you're doing engineering, you're doing engineering. And America is at least used to be very innovative and open to new ideas and broader. So that was the contrast. And then, um, so it was the, you know, getting best of both worlds, going to England for my undergraduate and master's to the U.S., and then London is a city, it's a great city, um, you know, they say uh, it, it has to offer everything that life can afford. And then California is a complete, complete contrast. It's about American football and the beach and, you know, uh, I, I bet you the word dude came from California. <laughs> so it's a complete contrast. So that's why England and then the U.S. Great. Thank you very much. Magda, you obtained your Bachelor of Health Sciences from McMaster University here in Ontario and then your Master of International Health from Curtin University of Technology in Australia. Then you earned a Master of Architecture at the University of Toronto. What piqued your interest to pursue a career in architecture in Canada? I grew up with a lot of exposure to healthcare, so naturally I pursued health sciences in university. Uh, with the ambition of ultimately going into medicine, but I found myself constantly needing to challenge the right side of my brain as I had always had various um, design or artistic related hobbies, I suppose. Um, so then I ultimately made the decision to apply to architecture school, which at the time I really knew nothing about. So I was accepted to the University of Toronto because they were one of the few institutions that would accept master's candidates with backgrounds outside of architecture and I quickly discovered that there is a place for me in the design world as a healthcare architect in Canada. Given the nature of this podcast I think coming into the industry with a background in something seemingly unrelated gave me a greater appreciation for the value of leveraging diversity of background in collaborative ways to solve the complex design problems that I'm faced with every day. That's great. Thank you. And we know you're putting your uh, health and medical background into use now at Dialogue. So that's great. And Carrie, as a British native and a lawyer who has obtained the majority of your legal education and experience in the UK, what sparked your interest in construction and construction law? I actually fell into construction law by chance. I was articling with a law firm in the UK and for one of my departmental rotations I went on an external secondment to a construction company that was a client of the law firm. I loved that experience but ultimately when I was admitted as a solicitor in England and Wales, which is the equivalent of being called to the bar in Ontario, I actually practiced commercial real estate law. I then came to construction law about four years later when I took an in-house counsel role with that same construction company and I've been in construction ever since then and have loved it. Um, the main thing that I like about it is that the end of your hard work on a matter or a deal, there's something, something tangible to show for it. So a community has a new hospital or school or commuters have better roads or railways for their commute. Um, and even during the process of operating the building contract while building is in process, the legal issues that come up and need resolving 
through the provisions of the contract as something that you can physically see on the ground at the construction site. So it's all very tangible and real. Thank you. Fessel, given the topic of this podcast, we'd like to ask you, what does diversity in the workplace mean to you? Oh, boy, that's a pretty philosophical question, I guess. Um, I, I think it used to mean how many sort of quote-unquote different-looking people there were in the construction workplace, or how many ethnicities or nationalities or orientation were represented in the workforce. Um, I think now it's more about how you communicate with these people and how you, you know, develop relationships. These people, you know, if you look at this room, for example, you'll see it's a fact that, you know, you've got diversity as it was traditionally defined. But now it's about, you know, how do you break the ice? How Everyone has the same aspirations. How do you get through those? How do you deal with each other? So to me, that's what diversity is about now. It's how you develop relationships who may not be the same aspirations, but may not be, um, you know, communicated or appear to be the same. That's an interesting perspective based on your lengthy experience in the industry. So to you, diversity is more about the ways of uh, people communicate rather than gender or race, different perspectives coming together on a project. That's right. It's, um, you know, in, I, I, I'll confess um, the era that I've grown up in, my, when I would meet, you know, let's say the three of you sitting here, I would immediately try and place you at least geographically and depending on the society you come from, sometimes socially. But my kids don't do that. You know, you ask them, oh, this name sounds Pakistani. Is that person Pakistani? They say, oh, we don't know. We never thought about it. And it's more about how they communicate or they have a problem in communicating or, you know, expressing themselves. It's no certainly less and less, I think, uh, you know, geographical or ethnic. That's an interesting response, Fessel. I've read construction industry interviews like the one with uh, the CCA's president, Mary Van Buren, about current trends. And one of them is how millennials are ready to step into the shoes of many people who are retiring from the workforce. So it's, I think, a great thing that your children, who are the next generation, are less concerned about backgrounds and more interested in just working together. And Carrie, what does diversity mean to you? And what differences have you noticed in the construction industries in the UK and Canada in respect of diversity? Um, I think true diversity for me would mean sitting at a table and seeing a broad spectrum of backgrounds, races and gender at all levels of the profession. So ranging from the most junior level up to presidents and CEOs and managing partners of firms. From my perspective, unfortunately, invariably that isn't the case. I would say that women and people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds are definitely underrepresented in both the legal profession and the construction industry, both in the UK and in Canada. It's quite common for me to walk into a meeting about issues on a construction project and for there to only be one or two women at the table. And in addition, for the vast majority of the time, the senior decision makers at that table are white men. Um, There are annual reports that are published in the UK on the diversity of the boards of the top public companies and the proportion of women and the proportion of people from different ethnic backgrounds that are in the leadership roles is actually very low. Um, 
I also think that the very fact that we have the proven and acknowledged pay gap between men and women shows that diversity education has a huge task ahead of it before we get even close to a position of equality between genders and races. Thanks, Carrie. The lack of diversity on boards is certainly a big issue. I read a recent study by Ryerson's Diversity Institute, which found that visible minorities make up more than half of Toronto's population, but only 3% of corporate boards and 9% of the private sector's senior management. Yes, and we also hear a lot about wage gap issues based on race and gender in Canada. From reports published by Maclean's and Statistics Canada, it sounds like the UK and Canada have some commonalities, and there's progress to be made here and there. So turning to Magda, could you please share with us your thoughts on the meaning of diversity in the industry? You've worked in major international design firms in Toronto and Edmonton over the past 10 years. What observations have you made about diversity in the design world? In my experiences, I think the most obvious conversation around diversity in the industry is around gender. In architecture school, the split is around 50-50, male-female, typical of most professional schools. Uh, We enter the workforce optimistic that gender roles are different than they used to be. Optically, I would say design firms have a 50-50 split across all staff, but as you look at the number of women in professional architect or engineering roles or in senior leadership roles, the number significantly decreases. Uh, There's a great book called Where Are the Women Architects that examines this issue and Recent statistics in Canada average about 20% of all licensed architects are female. And these statistics also strongly coincide with maternity leave, which is typically not an issue for our male counterparts, although that is also changing. My mentor throughout my internship was pivotal in encouraging me to get my architectural license before I started a family versus struggling to find and justify the time spent on achieving the professional designation as a mother. The strong number of women training to become architects and engineers is promising, but unequal progress in practice still highlights that it is a male-dominated industry. I was recently in a project meeting where I was the only woman in a room of 24, And my role on this project is project manager and senior clinical designer of a $350 million redevelopment project. I'm sure Andrea, you and Carrie, as you just described, can relate to that. Ultimately, like promotes like, and if you're in a male-dominated industry, there are still antiquated gender stereotypes. At my current firm, where we are constantly challenging this and raising the bar, we only recently announced the first female structural engineering associate ever. Um, More recently, I've also experienced conversations around age diversity in our field and leveraging mentorship opportunities. On the younger end of the age spectrum, we battle being perceived as inexperienced, but not given opportunities to grow and lead. But on the flip side, our older colleagues feel they are perceived as irrelevant and are being pushed out. I think that ageist attitudes towards all generations are hindering mentorship opportunities for knowledge transfer, and I I personally think that this is really unfortunate for the industry that is now demographically younger and more diverse than it's ever been. Thanks, Magda. That's a great point about age in the diversity discussion. You read everywhere these days that there's a big concern about retirement at the upper ends of the workforce, shortages of labor, and problems with attracting and retaining talent in the industry. So I think emphasizing mentorship programs is a great strategy to transition knowledge and skills 
and bring forward a more diverse workforce. Fessel, you have been involved in the construction industry since the late 1980s. What changes have you noticed in the industry over the decades from a diversity perspective? Do you think these changes happened organically, or was there a conscious effort to make the industry more diverse, in your view? As I said, to me, you know, you go to any group and you'll see what you're calling great, what you're calling diversity, you'll see a lot of diverse people. The, the question becomes is how we interact with each other. Do we give, um, do we hold people back? And, you know, I just heard a comment that um, if you go to a boardroom, you'll see, uh, you know, you, you may not see that diversity. So I would agree with that. And uh, it's coming. I think it's coming. Um, uh, if, if you take the evolution of our construction site, for example, I've, of a workforce of 12 in the that's management staff. In the 80s, I would guess you'd be lucky if you saw one uh, woman or one or two people from who weren't from Canada or weren't born in Canada. Now you'll see uh, I've got four or five, uh, three of them project managers who are women, and I think one of our stars or you know a rock star, one of the most promising. Project manages a woman. Uh, the question is, yeah, the statistics are not there, but I think it's coming in. And I think we should focus more, in my view, more on percentages. We should focus on, you know, letting what I think, and I'll answer your second question in a minute, what I think is the natural evolution to happen faster. And um, so I, I really don't think it's about numbers anymore or it's uh, percentages. Um, I think it's more about how we interact, and I think that's what's changing. I think technology, internet, uh, you know, all kinds of more news is is the great equalizer for a lot of um, different backgrounds. Whether you're um, whether you come from an impoverished or a poor country, whether you come from a remote country, whether you're at home. You know, you can write emails sitting at home. So I think technology is equalizing a lot of these barriers that you would have. You're almost forced to communicate in a way. So I think that's bringing a change to, uh, is this an organic or a, or a conscious change? Uh, I don't know. It's happening naturally. I think it's evolving. So it's organic that way. I think it's... Uh, um, and I think evolving for the better. You know, you get... Uh, I, I'll give you an example of myself. If, when I came here, even in 2003, it was very difficult for an immigrant to get a good job in his line, or his, in his industry. Now, for example, you've got me. I'm, I'm hiring... P I interview almost everyone who joins Multiplex, and that is not a barrier at all. Is that... So is there an organic or it's not a conscious decision for me. It's just I don't see the barriers that were seen before. So I think it's an evolution of society. That's what I would call um, what is happening. And I think it's happening. Uh, yes, it needs to go up a lot more. So you need to see more of it in the boardrooms. But I don't think you should force it. I think it should be merit-based. And um, I think you should not put barriers up and then let it happen naturally. And I think it is happening. Perhaps there are ways of making it faster. Thank you. 
Um, I found that really interesting on your point about the internet playing a role in the evolution of diversity through people communicating from wherever they may be located. I also appreciate your comment about hiring being merits-based. There's an article that I read in Forbes called How to Increase Diversity Without Lowering the Bar, and it talks about the flawed assumption that reaching a more diverse talent pool requires lowering the bar on quality. But diversity hiring is really still based on merit, that being free from, as you mentioned, barriers or biases. Now, Carrie, you've been involved in institutional healthcare and infrastructure projects. You've also worked with contractors and owners. Are there any specific areas of the industry that you think could benefit from broader diversity? I think here that the construction and infrastructure industry isn't actually a special beast by itself in this regard. I do, obviously, historically it is more male dominated, but I think the issues that you encounter in this industry are actually the same across the wider world. Um, I think leadership roles in all organizations, such as the decision makers on high profile projects, the executive management teams of companies, the boards of directors, they would all benefit greatly from broader diversity. I think if you have a team whose leaders have all had similar life experiences and perspectives, then that narrows the imagination for ideas and solutions that they may bring to the table. If you have a broader diversity at all levels, but in particular at the senior levels, you have a much more robust and wider perspective to be able to draw upon, and that can only improve the way that a business or a profession develops. That business and and profession, they should reflect the society that they are a part of, and in the bluntest way possible, our society is not all white and it's not all male. Thanks, Carrie. You're right that in this era of globalism, the makeup of a project team or company is becoming more and more diverse in all aspects. And your answer seems to reflect some of what Fessel was saying earlier about people being from different backgrounds, working together and communicating their perspectives. Given your role as counsel, have you been part of discussions at the corporate management level about diversity? and the business case to be made for diversity? I'm actually quite lucky in that the law firms and companies that I have worked for have all been very aware of the benefits of diversity and they have actually all focused on it through developing corporate policies. Now, whilst they may not have always fully achieved that in their makeup of their management teams, it has always been something that they have been aware of and have tried to drive forward. And it's never been anything that we've struggled internally to raise as an issue and to get onto their radar. They've all been very aware of it, even from before when I joined. However, I do think that this is something that needs a societal mind shift. It shouldn't be acceptable that people are paid less simply because of their gender or race. It shouldn't be acceptable that boards and executive executive teams of major companies in the global market are led largely by white men. We can all point to a handful of examples of companies that have women or people of different ethnicity as COOs or CEOs, but it would be so much better if they weren't the exception that stood out in our mind, but instead were just part of the normal makeup of the business and professional industries that we work in. Yes, hopefully with more discussions like this and with the progress that has been made in recent years, it'll soon be a non-story that board or management um, is composed of a diverse range of individuals. And I think that the construction and legal worlds are both slow to adjust, but changes are being made and the discussions are happening, which is positive. 
Fessel, have you had any specific experiences where diversity played a key role or was an asset in any particular situation? If I take my diversity as um, my qualifications in the UK and the US, which a lot of people have, and if I take my diversity to mean that I've worked in a whole, you know, in four or five countries, then yeah, that's an asset. That's a huge asset. I don't think um, me being a man or me being from Pakistan, although sometimes, you know, language language is a great, uh, great asset to have, but I don't think in the, me being from Pakistan or me being a man or, or not, something has really helped or not helped me. I think my international experience, my, uh, you know, seeing different environments, seeing different societies, seeing different values, I bring a lot to the table. I see a lot more in conversations. I see many sides to an argument. So yes, that does. I don't know if that's my diversity. It's just my experience. And I don't want to bracket that as being diverse. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Fessel, I think your broad experiences add to your ability to connect with a range of people and resolve issues. So perhaps without defining it formally as diversity, you're bringing different viewpoints to a project, and this is benefiting the team who work with you. Magda, what diversity initiatives have your employers or previous employers implemented? We are constantly examining the changing demographic at our firm and assessing needs to retain staff and lift all employees up in their roles. Uh, Things like examining pay equity and promotions or developing HR programs to support women returning back to work after maternity leave or for those with English as a second language or even enrolling in corporate memberships at the local daycare Uh, These are all making strides. Uh, We also support programs like WISEST, uh, Women in Scholarship, Engineering, Science and Technology here at the University of Alberta, which has dedicated over 35 years to empowering women in the fields of science, engineering and technology. Uh, More informally, we have Prosecco and Popcorn Dates, where women across our studio in Edmonton come together to share experiences that we then take back to share with the broader studio. And we have early morning coffee talks where we just chat about issues such as diversity, uh, more recently ageism, or really anything that people want to talk about. I think we need both informal and formal initiatives, and the success of these types of initiatives depends on the opportunities made available for honest conversation and making these types of issues a priority. Organizational health ultimately depends on the well-being of employees where people feel listened to, they feel empowered in their roles, and their diversity is ultimately celebrated and leveraged. Thanks, Magda. Those are great examples of initiatives where your firm gets together with other firms to share and discuss issues that affect them. I also like the connection between your firm and universities. That seems like a solid way to bring the next generation forward. Are you aware of any other initiatives outside of your own place of employment? I think from what I've observed, um, it's the initiatives are fairly similar. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that some of these things need to be discussed and need to be reviewed, like pay equity or making sure that, you know, there's a the right people are being promoted into the right jobs. Um, I can't say that there are particularly any others that I've noticed, but I know that they are similar issues that 
um, a lot of design firms are tackling, uh, particularly to retain the right people and, and the right talent and make sure that those individuals are feeling supported. And Carrie, what are some organizations out there that you know of that are working to advance diversity? And what steps do you know of that are being taken to promote diversity? The main one that I'm aware of is the Law Society of Ontario. In the past year, they've introduced a new program called Equality, Diversity and Inclusion. And that is aimed at removing the barriers that racialized lawyers and paralegals face at all stages of their careers. And the way that they are, the primary way that they are driving this program forward is that now all Ontario lawyers and paralegals are required to undertake continuous professional development training on these topics throughout the year of their CPD year so that everyone is exposed to the issues and can understand and in turn try to help remove the barriers that are that exist for these paralegals and lawyers. Similarly, some of the major law firms in Toronto have networking groups for members of the legal profession who are underrepresented, mainly targeting those who are underrepresented underrepresented in management roles and leadership roles. So um, women and racialized lawyers are definitely in this category in the legal profession, and there needs to be a focus on empowering them to achieve a more balanced profile of members within the industry. So they have events that look at leadership qualities and leadership skills and how to deal with difficult conversations in a boardroom to basically make it much easier and more accessible for women and racialized lawyers and different ethnic backgrounds to achieve those roles. That's interesting that you raise programming for lawyers. I volunteer with the Ontario Bar Association and know that they're putting on their institute conference soon, which is the biggest event of the year. For the construction and infrastructure section, I believe diversity in the construction industry is one of the panel topics. That's a good point, Kaylee. And also, don't forget, this podcast will qualify for 30 minutes of equality, diversity, and inclusion credits with the Law Society, so everyone listening should remember to log those minutes. And now for our last question of the day. Magda, what would you ultimately like to see happen in terms of the progression of diversity in the construction industry? I recently read a quote that resonated with me around the issue of gender diversity, like I've been talking about, and it said, women are expected to work like they don't have kids and parents like they don't have jobs. And I think as professional mothers, this can't be more true, but we need to balance these expectations and be vocal about them. I think we need to keep having informed conversations around these issues with everyone at the table, since empowering diversity isn't just about women helping women, for example, um, until we reach a point where we don't need to talk about it anymore because it just happens or it's a non-issue. I think we're going in the right direction, but we still have a long way to go uh, since we continue to have to talk about it. Thanks, Magda, for that response. I think that ties into comments that Fessel made earlier about the organic way things seem to be changing, especially with technology helping to progress diversity. Uh, Maybe in 10 years from now, with efforts being made by organizations and associations to recognize and celebrate diversity, such as some of the ones that Carrie has mentioned earlier, there will be no need for this subject to be discussed in a podcast. Fessel, Carrie, and Magda, you've all given us food for thought with your remarks and comments today. We've heard about the benefits of diversity in construction and a number of ideas for the continued advancement of diversity. 
We understand that diversity provides a better problem-solving and decision-making workforce that will allow companies that effectively adopt these practices to outperform their peers financially and fairly through respect and inclusion. It seems from our discussion that growth through diversity is the natural direction uh, that the construction industry is heading in. And uh, people with different skills and ideas and perspectives are being recognized as an asset. Thank you for taking the time to share these insights with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit glayholt.com for more information. If you have any questions, email us at info at We look forward to having you join us again.